Uh, I think you, you know who I am. I'm Richard Heisman. So today we're going to cover off writing your academic CV or sometimes I call it joining the 99% and I'll get onto why I call it that a bit later on. So, uh, if you haven't already connected with me, I'm a real advocate in using LinkedIn, not just for job search, but also for research communication and research engagement. Um, so do that. I'm on Twitter and Instagram as well. So I'd love if you connected with me on all the platforms. Anything you see in this, if you do take a photo of or to um, share with colleagues, my main request is that if you do so, that you acknowledge that it was you know, part of this webinar and tag me if you share it on social. Mm-hmm. I have a tendency to talk quick. So if I do talk quick, feel free to tell me to slow down or recover something or ask me to repeat or um, whatever might help you understand it more effectively. Uh, this is being recorded and it will end up on my YouTube channel. You get a chance to see and hear the recording before it goes up there. So um, don't get too stressed about that. And obviously 45 minutes is not that long a time to cover off writing your CV. Um, so I offer programs that where I work with people for three to six months on the job application process, both academic and non. Uh, and there's also workshops that I offer for larger groups and often universities or university departments are the ones that end up quote unquote buying those with researchers or PhD students being the attendees. So normally when I cover this, I cover off, I consider this kind of journey applying for the job and CV or resume writing in that order. But today, in order that we give you or that I give you the best value, I'm going to start with the CV resume writing so you can hopefully go away from this with some stuff that you can do straight away to your CV or your resume. So I guess the first thing to note is the terminology. So some countries use CV and resume interchangeably, and that's the case in Australia. But for example, in, um, in the US, resume tends to mean the shorter document and CV tends to mean the longer document. And if you have a look at this is some stuff from um, Duke University and you can see that they say um, the, um, on the left there that it's... Um, quite long on the right you can see it says the length is um limited to two pages so just be mindful if you're not based in australia we and i will use cv and resume interchangeably but you mean may need to take that uh, into account when you're listening back to this or making use of this at a later date that it might not be the case for the country that you're from the main thing to think about when you're thinking about the length of any document you submit to someone else is um putting yourself in their shoes or to have uh empathy and think about um, what would someone like to hear or read about in relation to the job or whatever it is that I'm applying for. So I also help people write grants and get um, helping the applicant understand what the grant reader might be interested in hearing about is an important part of the process. So putting yourself in the assessor's shoes is really important from a um, CV uh, application process. What do resumes or CVs look like? 
Um, so here are a couple of examples that I pulled off the internet. So the left-hand one is a sample resume put out by Monash University in Victoria, Australia. The right-hand one is one created by um, McGill in uh, Canada. And so you can see they have some basic things on them. So obviously the name, um, you can see in the left-hand one, academic qualifications are on there. Um, on the right-hand one, key competencies is covered off first. On the left-hand one, scholarships and awards is put second. Um, and then professional profile. <clears throat> Whereas on the right-hand side, uh, Martina's um, resume, uh, excuse me, CV has her profile first um, and professional experience comes later on in the document. The reason the scholarships and awards is highlighted in blue in this case is because I'm not convinced that those kinds of things need to be put on your uh, on your CV when you're going for industry jobs and in, particularly if we think about today being 2019 and not that the examples are always going to have relevant years in them, but if we're looking at this from a, a year's perspective, those awards were are now getting on in some cases to nearly 10 years old or, or older. So the question of whether they're relevant is important to the person who is assessing uh, your application. Um, I think that CV should be two pages long. So this is the second page and you can see that the right hand um, example, the CV is only two pages long. The top part continues off the um, examples of the work that they did previously. And the last part covers off their leadership uh, and training experience on the left hand side. They cover off a few other things that again, I'm not exactly convinced that they need to be in your CV. Um, so, um, or certainly the way that they've separated them out. So teaching and research separated from general employment history, that might be useful if you're going for an academic role in particular, where they're after those kinds of things and separating them out could make that useful to your assessor. But in most cases, people aren't interested in separating out the teaching and research uh, in a, from an industry perspective. And certainly if you were going for an industry role that was focused on teaching rather than research, you wouldn't separate out, separate out those experiences. You would talk about all of your experiences through the filter of uh, teaching or research or whatever it is that you think that your, um, your uh, potential uh, employer is looking for. Again, I'm not quite convinced that publications need to be on there, um, particularly when we're talking about a, a forthcoming publication and we're looking at industry as being the employer. And I, I'll talk about that in more detail or if, if you want to ask questions about it, you can. Um, and then in terms of um, the length, I prefer to see CVs down to two pages. This goes on to three, um, including um, other things that I don't know that are entirely relevant, such as extracurricular activities and professional memberships as well as interests. I think some of these things, particularly extracurricular activities and interest provide unfortunately an opportunity for discrimination. Um, and then in terms of whether you do or don't put referees, I think it takes up unnecessary space and referees generally wouldn't be checked in an application process until later on in the, in the process once you've been shortlisted. So saying something like uh, available upon request is a far better way of using that space. So that acknowledges that they may have asked for referees, but it also says my referees are important people whose time is valuable to them and to me. And if you'd like to get in touch with 
my referees, you can do so. I'll provide their details for you and we and you can work together to arrange a mutually convenient time. I prefer that you didn't just contact them directly whenever you felt like it. In terms of some lesser examples, so this is an example I just pulled straight off the internet. So uh, I would advise against putting a picture on your resume. I know that we probably have pictures on social media everywhere. Um, and so maybe they could easily find a picture of you, but certainly putting it directly on your application again is an opportunity for people to discriminate against you, which is again, unfortunate, but you want to remove all those opportunities. Uh, I wouldn't put your full postal address, but if you, that's something you feel strongly about, go for it. Obviously you need to have your contact information. Um, and in terms of, the, the next list, it's a long list of everything that this person has ever done. You'll see that they cover up all of their employment, all of their scholarships, all of their publications, including conference proceedings, refereed and not refereed. This may be something that academia is looking for, but I would, I mean, I would think as an ap academic assessor of applications to receive 10, 20 or 30 applications looking like this would be, I think, a, a tough ask to look through you know, a hundred pages of people's information. Whereas a two page summary of the highlights of your career is probably going to be far more relevant to the assessor who then can seek more information if they feel like you're a good fit for the role. I mean, as you, as you can see, this application goes on now for um, five, six and seven pages um, and then has again referees. So the, the resume in total is just under 10 pages, which to me looks more like a grant application than a, um, a job application. And I think would be too big. Some other examples that I've seen on the internet that are a bit more contemporary and heading towards what, um, you know, getting into the graphic design space. So you can see there's a little logo down the bottom of both of these, of this example called Enhanced CV. So this is done by a proprietary program. Um, this is not an endorsement, just an acknowledgement of where I got this information from. So you can see the way these are laid out. So firstly, it's worth noting that, you know, it's well designed. I would say it looks pleasing on the eye, even though you might not like the information. Take, for example, the my time section. Um, certainly I'm not sure that I would put, um, trying to figure out where my cat is meowing. That's point E if you're looking at this in the my time section, but um, other parts of this are uh, not too bad. Using two columns helps you get more information into the same amount of space without it looking crowded. Um, certainly picking out um, what your life philosophy is if you have one is not a bad idea. This person does cover off their interests in their books. Um, again, I'm not sure that I would necessarily do that, but again, it's done in a, um, in a visually pleasing way. And ultimately the CV's role is not to do anything other than get you shortlisted so you can get an interview. And so if it looks pretty, if it stands out, uh, those will be the kinds of things that will help you get shortlisted. So using the same program, this is a, a scientific version of, of um, a CV. Um, so you can see that they've adopted for a single column layout. It's a, you know, they've got some nice graphic design elements in there. They've opted for a picture as well. Again, I'm, I'm not convinced that that is necessary or valuable, but it's certainly, if, um, and I would encourage you not to use that. But again, if that's something you feel strongly about, you could. Um, and you can see they've put their experience in their publications first, um, followed by presentations and education. And I think 
that's um, probably a good thing. The further away your education is from today, the uh, I think the better off you are putting your education last. So um, you can see this person lists having completed their PhD in 2017 versus their more recent job experience um, coming first because now that's more relevant to where they're going and what they're doing. Um, and you can see this person as well has gone for three pages um, and included their references. Again, I would take off their references. I would put and put them uh, as available upon request. And if this person used the two column layout for some sections, they probably could have fit everything onto two pages. Um, are there any questions? Jenny, do you have any questions about what I've presented so far? No, no, it's all, all fine. Thanks, Richard. Yeah. Um, one of the more recent, I guess, um, occurrences in this space for academics is whether or not to include your PhD. And this is particularly relevant for, for early career researchers. The thesis whisperer has covered off this twice in her blogs in the last few months. Um, and one of the reasons is that it seems as though some recruitment agencies and some recruiters um, the PhD as being a negative thing, um, which is a, a real shame. Um, and I guess the, I would never recommend anyone not put their PhD on their CV, but certainly some recruiters are saying that should be how it should be done. And certainly the response to these articles on Twitter had a lot of comments in the realm of, I put my PhD on, but more as job experience. So they kind of, in, in some respects, hide the PhD and try and get rid of the negative connotation that exists around being an academic and you know, an academic's ability to focus on a task and to get work done in a way that industry is happy with. So I'm not saying that you should take your CV, your PhD off your CV, but I would um, recommend or I would encourage that you consider um, what people, how people might view the information on your CV, not just your PhD, but other things that you might include there. And whether, again, that's an opportunity to discriminate um, based on whatever that might be in there. I know that discrimination is against the law, obviously, but proving that someone didn't hire you for particular reasons is quite difficult, particularly when there's a pool of applicants that could be 10, 20, 30, or even 100 people deep. So going back to the um, guide provided by um, Duke, so generally they would say, and I would agree that the structure is of the, the resume, that's what they're referring to, is minimal and um, lots of bullets. And certainly bullet points make things easier to understand and easier to, to quickly read. And again, if we're putting ourselves into the shoes of the reviewer of the um the hirer or the hiring agent making it easier to read and easier to digest is um really important certainly the a snapshot of your most relevant skills and experience is important so if we think about the resume and the cv being different and the cv being perhaps a more fulsome document you might keep a list and it's useful to do this of everything that you have ever done for any job in one long big document and then when you create your resume for an application for a job, you would potentially take out the things that are relevant and you know that they're relevant because they're listed in the ad or the person that's raised um, or spoken to you about the job that you're applying for has 
raise specific skills or specific experiences that are important. And th so those things should come across into your resume. Um, so they are the things that are the most relevant um, to the actual job. And, and as it says here, it's tailored to fit with your specific job thermal industry. So I guess in the past, people have tended to use a cover letter to do the tailoring and let their resume be the same, no matter who or where they applied to. Um, if that's what you're thinking is you need to adjust that. And if a cover letter is required and in many cases, cover letters are now no longer requested, but if a cover letter is required, it's obviously tailored, but the CV is also tailored um, to every single job that you apply for. And you should be looking to match up keywords, key skills and key experiences that are written in the job advertisement or the position description and match those back into your CV to make sure that, um, that the recruiter is looking for the kinds of things that are in the ad and the kinds of things that are in the ad are in your application. Um, and it's important to note, you can see here that references is considered um, unnecessary info. Um, same with career objective and personal statements. So I agree that references are deemed unnecessary, but I don't agree that a personal statement or a career um, objective would necessarily be, um, would you'd be taking them off. I think you could put those on quite um, legitimately. I think that gives potential hirers a bit of an insight into what it is and why you're going for the role and the kinds of things that you're looking for. And again, these aren't long statements. These go for at most a paragraph. So if you're building a resume from scratch, I think this is what it should be on page one. So obviously you should have your um, name and contact details, your key skills or competencies, um, perhaps your professional profile, if that's something that you want to write up. Um, and then your qualifications and education, um, or it could be your, um, experience rather than your, um, qualifications and education, depending on what is most recent for you. So if you're still a PhD student, your education might go on your first page. If you've been a postdoc for three or more years, you're probably putting your experience on page one. So this is how the two examples that I presented earlier, how they're presenting their page one, just as a reminder. So like you can see, Amanda has her academic qualifications first up, and I would even potentially rename that to education. Most um, people would think about education rather than academic qualification. Uh, she's got that first up, whereas Martina has her um, profile and key competencies first up, but her education does become, does come before her experience. And again, thinking about now we're in 2019 and if this was handed to me today as a, you know, could you review this for me? I would shift the education to the end given she graduated, it looks like, uh, eight years ago. Do you have any questions, Jenny? Any comments? No, nothing at the moment. Thanks, Richard. Where are you at at the moment with your work? Are you a PhD student? Are you a early career researcher? Are you established productive academic? None of the above. Um, so, well, I probably, my age, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call myself an early career. So I've been in and out of academia, but yes, post PhD, this is yeah. my third year now. So, yeah. Um, Post PhD. So the definition of 
early career researcher is within, I think, five years of your PhD completion. Yep. And it's deliberately aged agnostic. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess I would fit that ECR. Yeah. Um, given that you've been in it at an academia and you've probably got, um, I would imagine, a range of work experience to talk about as well on your CV. I'd, if I was you, I'd be more likely to put your work experience up the front of your CV than your, acad or than your education, even though you only relatively recently graduated, particularly yeah. if those experiences are relevant to the job you're applying for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I yeah, that's um that's probably what I tend to do now. Yeah. yeah. Um and I, I agree with what you're saying about you need to mould it or adapt it if you like to what it is you're applying for. But I I think sometimes it's hard to know um sort of which way to to adapt it, I guess. And that that's sort of why I'm listening in today, just to see what perhaps yeah. what thinking might have changed. Yeah, certainly. Um, I think the, so. The, where I get the info from in terms of how do you adapt it or what do you do to make it adapted to the role, it's the kinds of things that they put in the position description. So I'm sure you've seen those, what they might list as key skills or key experiences in the job application. And so some, some jobs inside and outside academia will be quite specific. So in, in academia, they'll list the kind of, um, in biomedical science, for example, they'll say that they want um, Western blotting skills or ELISA skills or um, patient recruitment skills um, or animal handling skills, for example. Um, what field are you in, if you don't mind me asking? Um, currently? Yeah. So I'm a, a clinician, so a nurse Midwife yeah. and midwife. Yeah. Um, so then, working as a researcher and a um, lecturer, if you like. Yeah. Yeah. And certainly, like, I imagine in those, if you're working in that space and trying to get an academic role, they're probably going to look at, you know, your teaching and research capabilities and your ability to teach students. Um, they, those are the kinds of things that are written down. What are you seeing is written down in, in job um in job ads or in position descriptions? Um, I think um, a lot of it is research. So it's output and also yeah. um, grant applications and, you know, that sort of thing. I think it's the, the business models changed. in Yes. Um, and I put this probably, well, we, we talk about student satisfaction. I think it's more about the business model. Yeah. Is in so the more about being productive from a publication and grants perspective, yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. I, I certainly see that. Well, the, the rhetoric might not match that, but that's what I see as, um, yes, I agree with that actually. Yeah, the the uh, whatever, um, the university might be saying we value all experiences equally, but the person actually doing the hiring says, well, yeah. Um, but someone's got a grant record that says they've, you know, earned a million dollars in funding in two or three years and, and have 10 papers. I'm going to place them more highly than someone who has had a really great student experience questionnaire three years in a row. Yeah. Um, 
In terms of then what you might have on page two, I think it's worth repeating your contact details. Um, and certainly if things end up being separated, so if someone prints the document out onto multiple pages rather than double-sided, um, having your name and contact details on there will be important. And obviously having that it's page two would be important as well. So you just need to think about what might happen if the two pages got separated. Um, and it doesn't have to be heaps amount of heaps of information. It doesn't have to be everything repeated. It can just simply be your name and your phone number. And, you know, like you would on a, on another document slash two down the bottom. You'd continue the employment history. If you'd started on page one, you'd include any education and training. So, and for someone like yourself, Jenny, publication grants and awards going for an academic role or a more um, role in a university or a role in a hospital where they want um, academic credentialing, publication grants and awards would be important. But the way that I see this being covered off increasingly where it's not a full academic um, position, where they're not after a long, long list of publications, but just demonstration of ability to publish and to be peer reviewed. My recommendation is for people to select out some of the publications that they think are useful and relevant to the role that they're going for. And then you might say, you know, um, Davis at Al 2018 um, wrote of an intervention in relation to nursing. Uh, and you know, I, it's a good paper from my perspective because of the recruitment that we might've conducted the patient recruitment or the outcome that we had, or perhaps even the impact that it's had that, you know, perhaps, you know, another hospital or the state government picked it up as potentially now it's the way that we're going to treat patients in that particular place space or un undergoing that kind of rehab or treatment in terms of grants and awards. Again, if I think, um, intuitively most employers or most people understand what it means to get grant funding, but not what it means to get an ARC or an NHMRC grant. So if you have received a large amount of um, money in terms of grants and awards, certainly saying that you've been the recipient of over X number of dollars or X number of grants, whatever you think makes you look better, um, write that number and then say that more details are available upon request. And same for the publications. If you're only putting two or three in out of a total of 20 or 30, you might say that um, I've published over 30 peer reviewed publications and you can find the rest on my Google scholar page or on my website or on my LinkedIn or on ResearchGate, or you can ask me directly for them and I can provide them to you. Um, and obviously, if you're including a section on training and you haven't covered education by this point, you could put your education and your training together. I guess I see training a little bit separate. That might be short courses that you might have undertaken. And again, only if they're relevant to the job you're going for. So um, as an example, there are an increasingly large number of courses and training around leadership. And if the job asks for leadership, you might... Um, write down your experience around leadership in each of your roles. So whether that's supervising students or staff or implementing something new. And then in the training section, if you did a leadership training course or you did a personal development course that was say a Myers-Briggs type indicator course or a course around um, DISC or um, a, a course that was specifically called leadership training for new managers, then I would put that in the training section that you've done that as well. Um, and there might be other things as well around emotional intelligence or um, 
working with patients, whatever it might be that you think is going to be relevant from a training perspective, but may not lead to a credentialing, uh, would go in the training section. And obviously referees, like I said earlier, available upon request. And I would make sure you talk to all of your referees before you um, uh, put them on your CV. If you decide to put them on, uh, make sure that they're available or know what their availability is to be spoken to about your role. And more, most importantly, know that they're going to speak highly of you before you ask them or before you put them down as a referee. There's nothing worse than um, putting forward a referee who um, is not advocating for you. And believe me, that kind of thing happens. So have that explicit discussion with your referee. And if you can't have that explicit discussion with your referee, I would suggest that perhaps you're not confident that they would talk positively about you. Um, and then let's say you've put your CV in and you get shortlisted and you interview well and they ask for referees or they you get shortlisted and you haven't interviewed yet and they ask you for your referees you would say to them, no problem. Uh, can you let me know what you're after and what kind of dates suit you? I would like to, you know, confirm with my referees that they're available and you would kind of do a little bit of the liaising early on to get available times and dates. And you could also then brief your referee on the job that you've applied for a bit about the company or the employer that you're going, that you're applying with a bit about the role. So then when they come to talk about you, they can talk about you in the context of those things and they'll be able to do a much better job advocating for you. Their job will be easier as well um, doing it that way. So this is what page two looks like of the two examples that I pulled out. And you can see again, the training on leadership was pulled out separately in the McGill example, <clears throat> excuse me. And on the left-hand side, you can see again, like I said, they pulled out the um, academic employment and the teaching and research aspects separate to the other kinds of employment. Again, I'm not a, a big fan of that. Um, in terms of in press or publications in press or forthcoming as the word language has been used here, I'm happy if you think that is a worthwhile publication to mention in your application, I think I'm happy for you to put forthcoming. Um, if you've submitted the publication, but it's not yet been peer reviewed, um, I think that's a slightly different thing. I think the idea of it being actually peer reviewed is really important in this context. So you might put, you want to either mention it in a separate section that you've submitted an article, but certainly um, just be careful about how you put forward the articles that are submitted versus those that are impressed versus those that are actually published. Uh, and as I've already been through this section of the CV and um, these examples as well around what kinds of information they have on their second page. So you can see, because the two column layout allows you to fit more in, you can see education and experience can go on the front page in the, in Sam's example. Um, and you can see that as potentially allowed him to put a bit more um, focus on interests and um, things like that as well. Um, for, for Mia, again, she's gone for experience up front and I think um that's quite okay with me. And you can see she's put her PhD in there as part of her experience. Again, I, I'm quite happy with that to be the case. I would be even happier if you go look at her education section. I would be even happier that that 
PhD in chemistry information would be even smaller in terms of the amount of space that it takes up, um, particularly given she covered off the PhD in her experience section there. Um, and again, her words and references, I'll cover them off differently. So in terms of what's in or out, my recommendation is obviously you need contact details, some kind of summary about yourself, key skills that are relevant to the job that you have, education and qualification, and your experience, what's out or what's perhaps not handled as detailed in a CV you might put to a non-academic job would be things like publications, presentations, research techniques, and the referees, obviously they are not necessarily out, out, but certainly available upon request. Um, in terms of other tools, and I'll cover those off uh, in a moment, um, think about a cover letter as kind of like a lit review where the evidence is in your CV uh, or your resume. Uh, again, think about in the language that we use that CV often means everything for um, people outside Australia. Um, in terms of going for a job more generally, I'll cover this off a bit more, but network is important. And so knowing the kind of job you're after and the kind of skills you have and you could offer to a role is really important. And so you might consider developing an elevator pitch or a short statement about what job you're looking for and what skills you could bring to that job. So if someone says, how are you going? What are you doing? You can talk about that eloquently without stumbling over words or, and they would leave having, knowing exactly what you're after. So, and the important thing is that they could potentially recommend you to a future job or role. Uh, and I would say that if you're not on social media, that particularly LinkedIn, if you're looking for work is a must, uh, and you could potentially develop a social media presence on somewhere else like Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. And again, that just helps you with think practicing your communication skills. But if you're looking for work, um, networking is one of the most strong ways to get a new role. And those places, they're not called social networks for, for nothing. If you're looking for there's lots of places that you can find them. So social media, like I've already mentioned, seek and nature jobs are good places to start for a more formal process and um, your university probably has some resources around job seeking as well. Certainly a jobs available site uh, and they'll probably have a career center that is supporting recent PhD graduates, all enrolled students. Uh, I don't know what their role is around supporting early career researchers. Some do, some don't. You'll need to ask them about that, but increasingly universities have an early careers um, support group and they would probably be a good place to look as well for support. Career One um, and Cheeky Scientist um, are also good places to have a look for those of you that are interested. If you're based outside of um, Australia, Cheeky Scientist is in uh, North America. Maryland Careers is now called Maryland Executive Recruitment. That's based in Melbourne. Google is your friend and uh, obviously um, I'm here to help as well. Do you have any questions, Um Jenny? No, Richard. No, that's all um, very good. Yeah. Um, have you done a lot of job searching recently or? Uh, oh, some, sometimes it feels like it's a bit of a hobby. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Yeah. Certainly people talk about applying for a job being a full-time job. So, yeah. I, know, I think it's... Um, it's probably part of, I just like to, to 
keep an eye on what's happening in the environment yeah. and the landscape, I guess. But, yeah. Um, I, I think you've probably given me a couple of places that I didn't know about. Um, okay. Can you tell the, me what they were? Oh, the Maryland careers, I think. You know, yep. I knew about um, Seek and you know, the value of LinkedIn. I think yep. probably just get a bit tardy with some of the social media sometimes. So it does, yeah. you do have to persevere. It is a lot to keep up. Hmm. Certainly, uh, when I present this to larger groups, there's an, another slide that I show, and when I've got a bit more time, there's another slide that I show, which is this one. I presume it looks like a process to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think if you're applying for a role, you should think about the entire job application process and how you can access the application process at any time. So obviously when you apply um, with a CV, for example, basically you're mostly or most people think about responding to ads as how they you know, might be able to get a job. And certainly networking and social media is really important because I know from my perspective, I have been shown an ad from people. I've had the person who is, you know, quote unquote, the owner of the ad come and ask me to apply for a role. I have approached someone for project work who then said to me, oh, do you want to come and work on this as a, an employee rather than as a um, contractor client relationship? So certainly the idea of having a network and knowing what you want makes it much easier to tap into essentially all sections of this. I know people that have been put into the shortlist having not put in their CV or their cover letter or their application, but they're shortlisted. Uh, I know people that have been asked to do a task. So um, have you seen, have you had to do tasks before as part of a recruitment process? Uh, probably only once and... Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't prepared for it at all. Yeah, then that had it wasn't communicated beforehand either. Yeah, yeah. There you go. So and some so so knowing that you might be asked to do a task, and so I guess from a research perspective, you could be asked to perform a research technique. From my perspective, and a lot of the people that I work with, they're asked to generally do a written task, which might be some you know, proving that they can use a series of software steps or it might be proving that they can read and understand scientific writing and, and rewrite it in a more um, accessible way. So knowing that, and I've seen people just come straight in in terms of an application process and not, again, not being quote unquote shortlisted, but someone, go, someone says, oh, this person will be really good. Let's just slip them into where we're up to. Oh, cool. We're up to the task stage. Let's get them to do that. Um, and again, obviously, lots of people have heard of people being interviewed um, in advance. Um, and um, increasingly now, people have got mentors and coaches, um, but you need people that are you know, advocating for you in, in your absence. And sometimes your references can do that for you as well, you know, put you forward for jobs. So knowing the whole process and how it works will help. Um, you get work. And in relation to that, I'm not sure if you've seen stuff like um, or seen the application process before for some industry jobs. So the first one is um, that bots often do scraping to check that um, that there's a match between the keywords that the client is after and the keywords that are in the CV or in the application. Yeah. So it's really important that you match those up. Um, 
And obviously, less of an issue now, but early on, people would convert their, their CV to PDF and it wouldn't be readable by these screen readers. So they couldn't, the, the bots, even if the words were there in the CV, the, the bot wouldn't pick the words up because it couldn't read the words off the PDF. So it's really important that your PDF um, is readable. And mostly when you convert to PDF from MS Word, that's the case. So don't need to be concerned now, but it was a problem in the past that that would happen. Um, obviously, age is a massive <laughs> discriminatory factor in some of these things. And getting to put stuff on your CV um, is you know, like your name is, a, is an issue as well. Um, and spelling and all of these things mean that that some people get cut out of the application process before it starts. So making those kinds of mistakes is in, are important ones to avoid so that you can get shortlisted and um, or not get uh, missed the shortlist for the wrong reason. Yeah. Um, there's a whole lot of other stuff that's in here that I won't share. Do you have any questions before we finish up, Jenny? Um, no, been, it's been good to revisit and just refresh some of it. Um, and I'd be interested to see, I'm going to connect with you on LinkedIn, by the way. Okay, great. <laughs> but also um, might see if I can connect with you in another way. So in terms of getting maybe a different set of eyes on what I'm, I might be yeah. doing. Yeah, no problem. I'd love to connect. Happy to have a look at some of the yeah. stuff that you might be putting together. So thanks very much for attending today. Uh, like you said, get in touch with me via Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, whatever way you'd like to get in touch with me. Obviously, more traditional means of phone also work as well as email and my website.